My name is Brock, and this is the Dungeon Master's Toolkit Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dungeon Master's Toolkit Podcast. Today we are going to be talking about the new D&D content that they are releasing. We are looking at the Unearthed Arcana 2022 Character Origins Sheet. So there are 21 pages in total. And we're going to be talking about the D&D 1 or the 1 D&D kind of release that they're, um, they've been talking about. I've been watching some videos. I'm going to read through uh, some of this uh, document that they have here uh, as we get started and kind of give you my thoughts on um, what they're doing kind of as a company, I guess, and just with, as far as the rules go. So kind of what I think there. Um, if you like these videos or these types of videos, let me know. Uh, tell me what you want to look at next, and I will. I always like reading rule books, so... No problems there. Um, before we jump into the actual Unearthed Arcana document, I want to talk about a couple of things um, that they've mentioned both on their YouTube channel and um, just kind of in general through some of their public-facing uh, pieces. Um, and that is they're moving to um, they're moving to one D and D, and they're not making it a sixth edition. I think, which is a kind of a big stance, actually, because what they could have done, um, and obviously what they've done in the past, is they could say, hey, we're going to print 6th edition, and we are ending all support and all development on 5th edition materials and supplements. Um, everything is 6th edition going forward, so if you want to play the newest version of D&D, you have to 100% go over to uh, the new version, right? And they're not saying that. They are saying that everything moving forward that they're working on is going to be compatible with our current fifth edition rule set, which I think is a very um, it's a very kind of lenient and non-committal way of moving forward, which I think is good for everybody um, because what they're saying is, hey, we're gonna we're gonna do some rules revisions, we're gonna have some new books, but you don't have to buy that if you're comfortable with what you have. Or you, you know, you don't want to spend the money on the new rules. You don't have to, right? It's optional stuff that you can get. We're going to be printing it. This is just how we're going to go about it. So I think as a kind of a company moving forward standpoint, I think that makes sense. Um, they want to kind of have a, uh, game system where the game system is D&D. It's not D&D fifth edition or fourth edition or 3.5 or whatever. Um, I get why they want to do that because they want to have it consolidated. They want things to be the most recent edition. I'm curious to see how that will play out long term because if as they uh, continue releasing new supplements and new rules, um, I could see in the future them wanting to do another kind of rules revision, maybe, you know, five, ten years down the line. So it'll be interesting to see if they kind of can stick to that. Or, I mean, you're kind of, it's kind of like soft additions in that way. Um, and I think about this kind of as a software developer myself. Um, you can say that you're never going to put it, 
put out a new version of things. Uh, but as you continue to make changes to it at some point, like they're doing now, you're going to have to consolidate and kind of make a new edition or a new version. So curious to see how it goes. I think it's a decent way to go forward right now. I think it's a uh, less money grab than just saying we're ending all support for fifth edition and we're moving to sixth edition. This is a very kind of weighty, good way to ease people into kind of the next phase of D&D. So I think that, I think overall that is a good thing. Um, one of the other things that they mentioned was that going forward, you will be able to, uh, I think it's if you buy the books through them directly from Wizards, they will give you a code for that content to unlock on D&D Beyond which people have been asking for that since D&D Beyond existed as a platform, as a service. So that's great. They're giving people what they want in a you know scenario where they couldn't do that before since they were separate companies, but since Wizards acquired D&D Beyond, that is something that is now in their wheelhouse. Um, and then also they've talked about that they're building out a virtual tabletop piece of D&D Beyond or, you know, in, um, in addition to D&D Beyond, that you'll be able to essentially come in and have all of your D&D content, including the virtual tabletop, be wrapped up into this one service. Um, I'm also interested to see how that goes and how that plays out. Um, I think as a, like as a company decision, that's probably a pretty solid approach to everything. Um, it, it could hurt other third-party virtual tabletops like Foundry, Roll20. Those guys might be hurting if there is an officially supported uh, platform for that. Because, I mean, if all of your stuff just natively works and integrates super well with, you know, the in-house version, then why would you ever go to anybody else? So those uh, those companies that provide virtual tabletop um, services are probably going to be the most negatively affected by that change. Um, as a company for Wizards, it seems like a pretty solid decision um, in terms of long longevity, but uh, who's to say how that will affect the rest of uh, the community. All right, with that, we can jump into the Character Origins Unearthed Arcana. We're going to start by talking a little bit about the character races and some of the changes that we have here. So the character races and the backgrounds actually are kind of getting split up in this new 1D&D, which I think is a good thing. Um, and we'll kind of get to that in a second. But essentially, your race is going to give you more or less some biological features, you know, and obviously like your um, your visuals as how you look as a character, along with some, you know, basic abilities um, to to that race based on their biology. And then the part that gets split out is all of the uh, stat bonuses um, and some of the proficiencies and stuff get knocked back over to your background. So you just have, uh, you're not losing anything in terms of mechanics. They're just moving them to a different spot, which is going to make it more customizable, which I think is great. Um, and there are a couple of the changes that they've had with characters. For example, humans are now going to be able to have either small or medium um, sizes you get to pick, uh, which is great because there are small humans that exist uh, in our, our world, so that only makes sense. Um, I don't know why, if you played a human before, you 
your DM would tell you that you couldn't play a small human before, but now it's in the rules, so that's great. Um, you get a handful of other things. So like as a human, you get resourceful, so you get inspiration whenever you finish a long rest. You're skillful, so you gain an extra proficiency. Um, and versatile, you gain a it's, uh, the skilled feat or another first-level feat of your choice. Um, so that's awesome. awesome. Um, I don't necessarily see where it says in here, but I believe all of the... Uh, oh, is it part of your background? Yeah, so we'll get to it. You get a, a first-level feat as part of your background, uh, which is neat, but we will get to that in a little bit. Um so basically what's happening with races is they're saying this is your biology, this is going to determine, you know, some of your basic things about your character, but all the stat bonuses and all that other fun stuff, that is going to be pushed off to the background. I think that's a good change. Um, I know that there's somewhat of a lot of like old um, like racism and tropes and stuff in kind of baked into some of this that people complain about and um, separating the race or your kind of your biology of your character and then having the backgrounds provide the rest of it, I think helps to kind of solve some of that. Just kind of get away from that. Um, it's also going to be better for customization. So that's awesome. Um, there's a new race that was added. That's the Ardling, which is basically the opposite of the Tieflings. So the Tieflings being um, kind of born out of the uh, lower planes. Let me find it. It's in here somewhere. You know what? We'll stick with Ardlings. So the Ardlings being kind of the upper planes, like the good aligned planes. Um, so they kind of re resemble um, animals, I guess, um, in that way. Um, and there's a couple different options. They'll give you some different abilities. Uh, but And your alignment is not necessarily tied to your race. Again, one of those things where they're trying to separate that to say, you can be a character that is somewhat descended of like a god or a good aligned entity uh but like you don't have to be good if you don't want to that's up to your character not not their biology so um it makes sense to me um then let's see they're also making a lot of the abilities there's uh a little bit less of the like sub races than before um, though they do have it with, like, the elves, and I'm jumping around too far in my thing. Where did elves go? Um, so, for example, for elves, uh, one of your kind of features is elven lineage, and you basically pick one of your lineages, like drow, high elf, or wood elf, and then you basically get access to some slightly different, uh, features based on which one you picked. Uh, so I guess they're not getting rid of the sub-races entirely. Their lineages now, it's more or less the same thing, but your um, your stats and stuff are still separated out from that. So that's great. So for the lineages, at least for elves, you actually get kind of a leveled up version. So you have a first level feature, third level, and a fifth level. Those are different between the different lineages. Um, gnomes, for example, also have lineages between forest and rock gnomes. Um, doesn't look like those ones really have levels to it. Those are just kind of innate, uh, immediate first level features that kick in right away. Um, this does leave the option that new lineages could be added in future um, books. I'm almost a little surprised that like dwarves don't have a lineage uh, now that I'm seeing the elf one, but I, I don't know, they, there's no reason why they couldn't add it later. Um, and a lot of the characters allow you to switch between, you know, small or medium, depending on the actual race. Orcs 
are now a playable race. Uh, I think people were playing them before, uh, and you you also had half orc already before anyway. So I mean, having orc in there makes sense. They've also added new information on how to do like half races. So essentially, um, I don't see it in the document here, but what they said on one of the videos I watched was you take um, your two parents essentially, like so you have an orc and a human. You basically pick one of the races to be uh, mechanically how your character operates. So let's say you wanted the abilities of the orc parent. So you would say, mechanically, I'm an orc. And then visually, your character can look like either or or a combination of both. Um, so I, I guess in terms of simplicity, you're not, it's not like multi-classing where you get like some of the abilities of one and some of the abilities of another one. You get like predominantly the abilities of one of the uh, parents, and then you get kind of the visuals of a mix of them. So you could play an orc, essentially, but they look like a human. <coughs> that like mechanically, it's almost like saying your race and your or your the mechanical benefits that you get from one of them doesn't necessarily have to be how you present. So you could you you want to play like. This elf character, but you really want them to be, you know, have like the orcish um, traits and abilities. Then kind of the biology of the orcs, and you could say, "Oh, I'm a I'm a half elf, half orc. Uh, I look completely like a regular elf, but actually, you know, physically, I have the orc traits." So I don't know. I don't think that that's bad. I think it would be maybe more interesting to be able to kind of like swap some of the mechanics out and take half and half, but I get that that's a lot more complicated in terms of balance. So I get why they went this way for now. Let's talk about backgrounds now. This is probably where, uh, I don't know, a lot of the customization comes into play with your character. Um, backgrounds have been significantly revamped. Well, maybe not significantly, but they have been revamped in that uh, the main change is that they get the ability scores down. So um, when you build your background, you get to put a plus two in a skill. You get to increase uh, another one by plus one, or I guess you alternatively can put three at uh, plus one. So you basically get three points to put anywhere uh, but you can't put three into a single spot. Um, you also get two skill proficiencies, you get a tool proficiency, and you get a language. And you get a first level feat and 50 gold to spend on equipment. So the thing that I like here is that, well, one, it gets the ability scores away from the races, which is going to open up player possibilities for building characters, because I don't know how many times I've looked at, like, I've seen guides on how to build D&D characters, and it's like, I mean, you could choose this other race, but, like, if you're playing a wizard, that's going to suck. You're going to play one of these three races, you know, and then that really limits, like, you can play other races, but you're going to be less optimal, potentially. Um, not that that necessarily always matters, but it does kind of feel bad when you're making a character and you're like, I have to sacrifice some of this stuff just because the rules say that they don't get, you know, bonuses to intelligence or whatever stat you want, right? So you put that into your background and you can say, I can play whoever I want. I can play an orc wizard if I want, and I can say that they were a librarian, you know, uh, and then they get the intelligence bump. So I like it. I think it's going to open up more possibilities and let people play 
more of the characters that they want and not feel as bad about sacrificing stuff uh, because they don't have to anymore. I think that's great. It also gets away, again, from some of those kind of like, your race has to do this thing, you know, mentality, and also great. The other thing I really like about backgrounds is uh, the when you choose your background, it says you essentially have three options. You really have two options. The first and default option is that you build your own background using the rules for building your background. That's great. I like that being the default. That means that creativity is number one as a character. You have permission as a player character to be creative and make your own background. And that's not the, ex it's the rule, not the exception. Uh, the other way you can do it is you can select pre-made background from the sample background section, which is essentially the backgrounds that they gave you before that have just been rebuilt using, you know, the new rules. And then the third option is select a pre-made uh, uh, sample background, but then tweak it using the same rules, which is is just using the build your own rules and, and modifying. It's, it's the same thing. You have two options. And then you have a couple questions here. How does your background influence your current worldview? Do you embrace or reject your background? And did you form any relationships during your background that endure today? So there's some, some extra little tidbits that you can do there. Um, so again, the biggest thing I think is the ability score changes. And then the other thing is everybody gets a first level feat and we're going to go into feats here in a second. Um, and I think from what I understand, having this first level feat and the way they're breaking feats up, I think is going to be really good for the creativity as well. Um, so let's take a look at that next. Feats. Feats have some new changes. They now have a level associated with them, which makes sense because you have a class. Your class has class features, class feats. They have levels. Feats, uh, as we know them, are essentially non-class features or non-class specific features or generic, right? Anybody can take them barring a couple of minor prerequisites. So giving them levels makes sense because some feats in the past were way stronger than other feats. And I think that splitting those out and giving everybody a first level feat is going to help with customization because then people are going to want to take things like, what is it, like chef or uh, musician or some of these other things, right? Where a lot of times it'd be like, well, I could take that one and it would be thematic for my character, but it doesn't actually help me as much as this other one does, so I'm not going to take it. Well, if you, you have to pick a first level feat and the one that you really want isn't on that list until later levels, you can pick one of these other ones and not feel like you're missing out on, you know, the, you know, max power gaming, right? In this document, they give us a list of just the first level feats. So we don't know what the range of levels is for features. Um, and some of the changes that they've made as well, listening to the Jeremy Crawford interview, um, is that they've taken a number of these feats and made them more useful in team settings and um, specifically more useful for people uh, who want to take them. For example, alert uh, before, or I guess now, lets you, um, along with your initiative role, you can swap your initiative with somebody else, with a willing ally. Because um, before it was like, I just want to go first and I get to go first and that was the only benefit you had. Now you can say, hey, I can roll really high. And then if I have another ally that would be way better for them to go first, then I can give it to them and they can go. They can do their spell or whatever thing they need to do you know, as a setup action. Uh, so you can be more of a team player in that way. And they also fixed ones like Medic. Is it Medic? Healer. 
uh, where Healer before basically gave non-spellcaster uh, or non-like cleric characters a way to heal their allies, uh, which they didn't have before. But then, like as an actual healer, you didn't want to take it because it didn't. It was worse than the options you already had available to you based on your class. So they also are giving them kind of bonus things to say, "Hey, here's a way that you can trigger healing without having spell slots." And then, "Hey, when you do heal, you're better at healing." Um, so you have a reason to take these feats. Same thing with musician. Um, works really good if you're a bard because. You, um, when you finish a, a short rest or a long rest and you play a musical instrument, um, a number of allies will get inspiration from that. Um, and so as a bard, you have a kind of like a free way to hand out, um, inspiration to people. And if you're not a bard, it's still good. Uh, but as a bard, if you are wanting to hand that stuff out to people, um, here's a, here's an easy way that you can do that. Uh, one of the other ones we can look at is magic initiate. So there's some changes here with their, the way that they're organizing spells, which I like. Um, so magic initiate lets you, uh, learn uh, some basics from a magical tradition. So, they're splitting up their spell lists into three main categories, Arcane, Divine, and Primal. And I like this, ironically enough, because I've been working on my own system, um, and I also split up uh, the spells, uh, kind of spell origins almost, into uh, these three categories. Though I also added a couple, a handful of other ones. Um, but this was the start. This is where I started. So they copied me, I think, even though I didn't publish any of that yet. Whatever. Um, so here you get two cantrips from those spell lists, and you get a first level spell. Uh, you can cast it once without a spell slot. You can cast it more times with a spell slot than that you have, and you get your uses back on a long rest. And you get to essentially pick which spellcasting ability you use as the modifier. Uh, they also baked in that whenever you gain a new level, you can you can swap the spell with something else, which is nice because it just kind of future proofs your characters, so you don't pick something and then like you're like oh I never cast it anymore because because it, it's not applicable or whatever. I think that's good good um, way to be able to kind of switch stuff out, not super frequently, but frequently enough to keep your options relevant. So. That is features. I like the direction they're going there. I think it's going to offer more customizability, if that's a word. And one of the last things we're going to talk about here is the D20 test. So test is kind of the new language that they're using to encompass ability checks, attack rolls, and saving throws. I believe they are doing this to consolidate uh, and have less confusion between the different types of rolls that people make. Um, so if anything affects a d20 test, it affects all types of rolls, essentially, though those three. And the DM determines whether or not D20 test is warranted in a given situation, so they can flat out say, no, you don't get to roll, this just doesn't happen. Um, some of the new changes are that rolling a 1 is always a fail, and rolling a 20 is always a success. <clears throat> so there's some interesting uh, caveats here, I guess, um, and that being... I think that dungeon masters are going to have to be a little bit more careful about when they ask for 
roles because I think before you could say, I think seduce the dragon tends to come up a lot as to being like, that should be like nearly impossible. Um, and like, you're really, is it really an option? If you, if you, to me, in most situations with the dragon, an attempt to, to seduce the dragon, rolling a 20, rolling any kind of success is not necessarily a success in the fact that you succeeded it, but you succeeded enough to say that the dragon probably chuckles at you and thinks that it's funny and doesn't immediately eat you. Um, not that you necessarily, uh, it's not, it's like, it's not mind control, right? Like if you just walk up to the king and say, hey, I've never met you before. I want to convince him to let me become king now. And if I, and if the DM says, roll, now there's a 5% chance that that just happens and that doesn't make sense. So, um, and in that situation before, I would say, if you rolled a success, again, the king laughs at you and just kind of like shuffles you off. If you fail in that situation, you're going to jail, <laughs> you know, uh, for insulting the king. Um, so I think since rolling a 20 is an automatic success, there may be situations now as a DM where you have to say, I just can't ask for a roll because the possibility, because there's a possibility that you automatically succeed even, you know, regardless of anything else. So, um, that's interesting. I, I don't know if I like it or if I don't like it. I, th I think I'm mixed. I don't think it really matters a whole lot. You just might have to word, word things a little bit, um, a little bit differently. And I think, uh, using one of the dungeon world, um, I don't know, is it a DM move or something? Um, but just telling them, uh, I think it's called tell them the consequences and ask. So if a player says, I want to seduce the dragon, right? One of the things as a DM is not to just say, okay, go ahead and roll for it. It's to say, okay, if you succeed, this is what happens, right? Here's option A. If you fail, this happens. And now in this situation, um, you could let them roll for it still, but you could also have the consequences and be like, yeah, you can sure roll for this. You got a 5% chance to succeed. If you fail, the dragon eats you, right? No death saves, no nothing. That's the consequences. Do you, do you still want to do it? Um, and hopefully dragons, uh, if you're successful, hopefully dragons don't act like praying mantises. So, um, I, I, I don't know. The automatic success, automatic fail, I, I feel like players or tables in general have been playing kind of with those rules in general anyways so putting that in them into the rules is, is probably how most people play anyway so i don't think it really matters um it's up to your table anyways if you don't like this rule that rule then don't don't play with it um critical hits are a little bit interesting as well that's the next section here in the interview with jeremy crawford he was trying to say that with the changes to critical hits, they're trying to make it the language more consistent. And I don't know that they necessarily hit the mark on this one for me, at least. He was saying that there was a lot of confusion about like when critical hits apply, especially to magical attacks, uh, which didn't make sense to me because to me it was... If you make a spell attack and you roll a 20, it's a critical hit. If they, if you cast some type of a spell and they have to save to avoid it, you 
can't critical on it because you didn't roll it, right? And and maybe as a DM you could rule that a, a, a natural one on their save is considered a you know critical fail, so you would have the same thing. But it was never really a confusion thing for me, and I feel like specifically only allowing uh, weapon and unarmed strikes to crit makes it more confusing now, which is the opposite of what they were going for. Um, so. I don't know. I feel like they kind of muddied this one a little bit. Um, I would, as a DM, probably still allow critical hits on spell attacks because that's consistent. If you roll a 20 on an attack, you crit. Doesn't matter what type of damage it is, right? Or what type of an attack it is. If it's an attack, it works. Um, that's the most consistent to me. Um, and there was something else that was mentioned, and I actually don't see it in the document, and that is that apparently monsters aren't allowed to score critical hits anymore. Um, but again, I don't see that in the document, but that was talked about in the interview. Um, and I think for me, that one also is kind of a... Um, I kind of get why they were doing it. Uh, and in the video, they were saying that most monsters have some type of a recharge ability, like the Dragon Breath um, attack or you know various other things. And those are kind of like... DM triggered critical, you know, massive damage attacks. Um, so you, the DM has more control over when those land and to use them at kind of thematic or important times versus having the, you know, sheer randomness of critical hits. Um, which to me, that's fine. I, that reasoning is fine to me. Um, the problem that I have with it is, again, related to the critical hit stuff here is that it's not consistent then because now it's, when does a critical hit happen? Um, as only weapon and unarmed strikes by the players. So when a monster attacks, it doesn't work. When a spell attack goes off, it doesn't work. So there's these like weird exception rules to it. Um, for And for me, a consistency thing, I would rather have it all work the same so that you don't have to remember specific exceptions to the rule. Um, so for me, I would probably just have it continue to work and you, everybody continues to crit regardless of weapon, unarmed, magic, monster, it doesn't matter. Um, that's probably how I would play it. Just because I would probably forget. I would just see the, the, the nat 20 and be like, bam, they crit. That's what's happening. So I don't know. I'm not, I don't care if these rules aren't what I want to play with, then I'm not going to get upset about it because I will just change it or, you know, work with your DM to change it. You know, I feel like there's been a lot of people who have been complaining about some of these things and they're really not, they're really pretty minor changes, to be honest. Um, and I, I, I get where they're coming from on some of them. Um, I don't think they're that big a deal and they're super easy to homebrew 90% of this to just keep doing it the way you've been doing it. So, um, those are the main, those are kind of the main pieces that we have here that I want to talk about. There's a handful of other kind of odds and ends uh, in this document, but I don't think that much of it is going to change. There's just some specifics on like what are primal spells and what are, what's, what's this new slowed condition? Um, well, it's all pretty minor stuff here as, as far as this goes. So that is my recap and my thoughts on the new D&D 1 or 1 D&D um, and the character origins Unearthed Arcana that was recently released. Yeah, hope you guys enjoyed listening to this episode of the podcast. And if there are more of, you know, documents from either D&D or other game systems that you want me to take a look at, just let me know and I will go ahead and read them. Thanks for listening. 
Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Dungeon Master's Toolkit Podcast. You can find links to all of the products and resources that we talked about on the show in the show notes. And if you'd like to join the community or find out how to be on the show, check out our subreddit or join us in our Discord server. 